0: Want to dive deeper into the topics you hear about on Daily Drive? We're offering listeners a special offer, 20% off a one-year Automotive News digital subscription. That gets you access to all of our news, information, and analysis made for automotive industry leaders like you. Go to autonews.com slash Daily Drive promo to redeem. Welcome to Daily Drive for Monday, August 28, 2023. I'm Jamie Butters, executive editor of Automotive News in Iowa City, Iowa.
1: And I'm Callan Walker in Las Vegas. Today on the show, uniform members join the UAW in voting to strike the Detroit Three if necessary. Meanwhile, South Korea clears a path for Hyundai to strike. Also, Ford and Lincoln plan changes to their lineups. We'll tell you what gas models are slated to be cut. Plus, Boston Consulting Group is optimistic about the pace of EV adoption. We'll hear from Senior Partner and Managing Director, Brian Colley, about why that is.
2: As they see more and more of these vehicles on the road, um, as they hear their friends and their neighbors talk about just what a great experience it is, the acceleration, the smoothness of the ride, the tech-infused interior, I think they're gonna quickly get over some of those hangups they might have, and we're gonna see that adoption, you know, just continue to accelerate.
1: Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry.
2: Uniform members
0: at the Detroit Three followed the UAW's lead. Over the weekend, they overwhelmingly agreed to authorize a strike if the union can't agree on a new collective bargaining agreement with GM, Ford, and Stellantis. The results were similar to the votes by UAW members announced Friday. Results at Unifor locals ranged from 98% to 99% in favor. Strike authorization votes are a routine part of contract negotiations, and they do not mean a strike will occur. Unifor is Canada's largest union in the private sector. Its membership includes 18,000 Canadian auto workers. Unifor's current contracts with Ford, GM, and Stellantis expire September 18th. The sides opened formal negotiations earlier this month. Canadian auto workers are seeking increased wages, improved pensions, and secure union
1: jobs in the EV future. On the other side of the Pacific Ocean, a similar story. Hyundai's unionized workers have authorized their negotiators to call a strike if needed. If a strike goes forward, it would be the first against Hyundai in five years related to wage negotiations and could disrupt delivery of some popular vehicles. Hyundai's union said the National Labor Relations Commission, a South Korean government organization that handles labor disputes, cleared the way for a strike. The union has demanded wage increases and changes to the retirement age. It said it would meet Wednesday to decide the next move.
0: In Ford's push to EVs, three longtime gas models are slated to be cut. They are the Escape, Edge, and Transit Connect. That's according to sources speaking to Automotive News for our future product pipeline report. Ford is finding the electric transition to be harder than previously expected. Still, the automaker is speeding ahead with development of a second-generation EV platform that will underpin a pickup and several crossovers. CEO Jim Farley said the company plans to quadruple hybrid sales in the next five years, following success with the hybrid Maverick and F-150 pickups. The automaker has warned that its EV business, called Model E, will lose about $4.5 billion this year. That's 50% more than originally expected.
1: Changes are also expected at Lincoln. U.S. sales by Ford's luxury brand are on pace to fall for the fourth straight year. And new president, Diane Craig, has backed away from electrification commitments made by past leadership. Craig said Lincoln has too many dealers and plans to whittle down the network from the roughly 600 it had at the start of the year. It also plans to shrink the lineup those dealers can sell. Lincoln is expected to discontinue gasoline versions of the Corsair and Aviator. Its first EV, a three-row crossover, is expected to debut in late 2025. And finally,
0: a study from a vehicle search engine and data research company shows how much harder it has become to find late model vehicles for under $20,000. An iccars.com used vehicle pricing study said cars selling for less than $20,000 made up nearly half of options in the pool of one- to five-year-old used inventory four years ago. Now those vehicles account for just 12%. An ICCars.com analyst said it shows the scale at which used vehicle values appreciated over the last few years, this as the scarcity of new cars drove more consumers into the used car market. ICCars.com found the average price of a 1- to 5-year-old vehicle jumped 48% to more than $34,000 this year. That's up a little
1: more than $11,000 from 2019. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, why is there less drama on the Unifor side when it comes to contract negotiations with the Detroit Three?
0: You know, both presidents are new and they're going head-to-head, which is you know very unusual for these negotiations but they really have different scenarios, different instances in the way they came in. You know, Lana Payne did come in after a a mini scandal involving her predecessor. He took a payoff and checked himself into rehab and and has cleaned himself up, seems to be healthy again. The UAW had a much more broad-reaching scandal, sent more than a dozen people to prison, including two of the former UAW presidents. So it seems like he really feels the need to take this extreme position to be so uh, belligerent with the automakers to really demonstrate that he is not in their pocket and he is fighting for his members who really are angry and feel betrayed.
1: Gotcha. Coming up, Boston Consulting thinks EV adoption will be upward of 80% of the new car market by the end of the next decade. We'll hear why the group is so optimistic next on Daily Drive.
3: The auto industry's shift to carbon neutrality is here, and it's accelerating. But is it enough?
1: This is a moral imperative, an economic imperative, a moment of peril, but also a moment of extraordinary
0: possibilities. No more hesitancy, no more excuses, no more waiting for the others to move first. There is simply no more time for that.
3: Driving to Zero is a new podcast series from Automotive News that looks at the auto industry's roadmap to carbon neutrality. We take a big picture look at the environmental, political, and social trends pushing the move toward a greener future. And we pull back the curtain on how these decisions are being made at the highest levels. My team and I went to each car company separately. We sat down and we said, you know, what can you do? What you cannot do? How much time you need? How much going to cost you? And that pay off big time. I said, you know, the, the headline that you need is is GM believes in an all-electric future. And I think Dan Ammon and Mary Barra pretty much said the same thing, which is is like, but but we, we don't. Spoiler alert, they come around to that idea. Find out how and much more. I'm Jake Neer. Join me and Automotive News Executive Editor Jamie Butters on Driving to Zero, available wherever you get your podcasts starting September 11th.
0: Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. As automakers continue to pour billions of dollars into electrification, EV market share has grown, but maybe not quite at the pace EV enthusiasts had hoped. Supply shortages and an unpredictable economy have made it tough for manufacturers to capture a bigger slice of the market. But Boston Consulting Group is still optimistic about where those numbers will go in the coming years. I spoke with Senior Partner and Managing Director, Brian Colley, about the group's EV outlook. We talked at Automotive News offices in Detroit. Brian Colley, welcome to Daily Drive. Thanks, Jamie. Really appreciate the opportunity to chat. It's always good to catch up. So let's start with the big picture on EVs. You know, Throughout this year, we check the registrations every month. EV market share has been kind of steady, kind of stagnant even, at around 7%. Do you see that picking up again soon, maybe with some more vehicles entering the market and kind of where do you see the longer term 2025, 2030 market share for EVs yeah, so, in, the, in the U.S. I'm talking about.
2: Yeah. So I think the the first thing to recognize is that there are some very compelling reasons why we're seeing the the push from internal combustion to, to battery electric. Um, the first is that the economics just makes sense. Uh, when you look hmm. at a total cost of ownership across pretty much all segments, especially with incentives. Uh, it's a rational decision for a consumer uh, to make an EV purchase, and it's going to continue to increase in the coming years. Um, there's also, I think, one thing that we can't lose sight of is just great vehicles that are coming to market. I mean, if you look at where the the major vehicle manufacturers are putting their best product development teams, where um, they're bringing in uh, to bear a real more of an infusion of, of technology and developing a much more you know customer-centric experience, it's happening in EVs. And these are great vehicles and I think as uh, consumers have a chance to to get to see more of these vehicles on the road, uh, we're gonna continue to see adoption just accelerate. I think why we're stuck right now, I think the reality is we've probably had uh, early adopters, first movers that have come in, that's probably around the seven to 10% mark. I think there's been a bit of a wait and see approach where folks are may have some hesitation about an EV given some perceived range anxiety, or if, frankly may not fit with their current affordability. But as they see more and more of these vehicles on the road, um, as they hear their friends and their neighbors talk about just what a great experience it is, the acceleration, um, the smoothness of the ride, uh, the tech-infused interior, um, I think they're going to quickly get over some of those hangups they might have, and we're going to see that adoption you know, just continue to accelerate. And to the point where we think by the end of the decade, we think we could see upwards of 45 to 50% of all new vehicle sales in the U.S. being EVs.
0: You mentioned the price, which you save money on fuel, you can save time, uh, less maintenance and all that, but it still tends to cost more upfront. So when do you see that uh, reverse? I mean, cause obviously if I agree with you, the experience is great. If the price were at parity, I think the market would rush. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> rush no, to no EVs. Doubt. I
2: mean, the reality is there is a large portion of the market that still is first cost sensitive when they're at a dealership and they're looking, they're saying, oh, this is $8,000 more there is a portion of consumers that are doing the math and understanding the total cost and how it's going to play out over you know 3 to 5 years and OEMs are trying to make that math easier for them by providing the tools but there's also a large portion of the segment that is just you know first cost sensitive and they look at that higher price and like ah I can't afford that, or maybe I don't want to afford that right now. Mm-hmm. And as a result, they're choosing differently. But I think as we go to the latter part of the decade and in the early part of the 2030s, that's where we are going to start to see that actually first cost come to parity. And we're going to see that as we see greater scale on EV productions, as we see a more mature EV supply base. And then, of course, batteries. Batteries is really what drives drives it all. And I think there, as we moved beyond NMC to new chemistries, whether it be LFP or LMFP, we're going to see you know more compelling battery prices, which I think will bring that first cost parity. And that's what's going to then allow us to go from 50% of new vehicle sales to upwards of 80% by the end of the 2030s.
0: Do you see solid state as an important threshold in that or even just changing chemistries within uh, wet batteries?
2: Yeah. So I think you know solid state is, is definitely an interesting space to look at. I mean, one thing I would say at this point, where we are in terms of the overall maturity set from batteries is that technology and innovation of any kind needs to be encouraged. And I don't think yet we have yet you know, determine what the final solution is going forward. Mm -hmm. You know, certainly there's a lot of excitement around LFP. There's a lot of excitement around LMFP in terms of uh, more accessible materials, especially LMFP, the ability to provide greater range at a lower cost while addressing some of the material concerns. Solid State's interesting. There's a number of, uh, of companies that are investing significantly in the space. I think the big question there is manufacturability outside a lab environment. Can you really do that at quality, at scale, mm-hmm. in the way that you need to in order to be able to make those economics work? And I think that's still an unknown. There's some that are betting against it, but we've also seen there's a lot of money that's betting, uh, betting on it. So we'll see how that plays out.
0: Yeah, the Japanese seem really uh, committed, <laughs> and they're banking their, their strategy so much on that. I want to ask you about the EV startups. I think you're, you're, you call them EV challengers, which um, is a good, good term because we've got sort of these incumbents, these companies that have been around for a hundred years. And I remember when Tesla started and I was at Bloomberg then, and I was like, look, nobody's made, nobody's started a car company that has survived a recession since Mr. Honda, you know, like it's just too hard. It's, you know, it's too big. It's too complicated. Tesla has since had a couple of brushes with death and survived them to become, you know, the strongest, most valuable company in the history of the auto industry. What does Tesla and the other Tesla wannabes, the other EV, EV challengers, what do they bring to the industry and what's sort of their long-term impact?
2: Yeah, well, I would say that when you look at the Teslas, the Rivians, the Polestars of the world, certainly they have proven that it's it's, it's possible to to conceptualize, design and launch a successful EV player, we're seeing that, and I think you know those companies in particular have done some incredibly impressive things. I would say though that more broadly, if you look at a lot of the dozens of other entrants that are trying to to enter into the space, you know, it unfortunately I would say the vast majority of those players are likely going to fail, especially as it pertains to the North American and the European markets. For a while. There is a view that it's enough to be an electric vehicle and that may be the case in a market like china where there's just rapid growth that's going to be occurring here over the next decades and Mm -hmm. and being a new ev player maybe that could be enough but when you look at north america and europe the reality is these are very mature these are exceptionally well served so slow growth markets and if you're looking to attain a meaningful market position in north america the us i should say in europe The reality is you have to uh, win through conquest. You're going to have to take share from others. And and I think the question is, what is it that you're going to bring to the table that's different, that's better in terms of a product experience, in terms of a seamless sales and service experience? It, It really has to be the complete package. And I think the reality is that a number of these players, they've fallen short in terms of either manufacturing, high quality at scale. They've fallen short in terms of the sales experience, or frankly, they just had a product that didn't meet the functional emotional needs that consumers want. And the reality is it's hard to build a brand in mm-hmm. these uh, these mature markets. It really is. What is it that you're going to do different? What is it that you're going to do better that can allow you to truly be essential? I think the brands that I referenced earlier, I think they're onto something. They have shown that they're doing something different in the market for which consumers are responding. I think a number of the others that are trying to, trying to grab, a, grab a foothold in these markets, I think they're going to face uh, some, some difficult times ahead. Now, all that said, I will say, even though a number of these new EV players may fall by the wayside over time, we should not lose sight of the impact they are having on the industry more broadly. I mean, they are shaking things up. Mm-hmm. They're causing the traditional OEMs to really self-disrupt, to learn from you know what it means to have a tech-confused vehicle, to learn about what it means to be consumer-centric. And I think at the end of the day, we're getting better products, we're getting better experiences, and consumers win.
0: Yeah, it's hard to think how long it would have taken to come up with a software-defined vehicle if there wasn't a company like Tesla pushing, you know, the GMs and the Fords and, and Volkswagens of Absolutely. the world. So you mentioned uh, sales and service. And of course, uh, you know, dealers are an important part of our audience, uh, along with automakers, suppliers, tech community, all that. But uh, some of these companies, like they think you can, you can sell an EV like Amazon. and And maybe, honestly, regular car makers could sell their cars they're all pretty well made. And if it's something's wrong with it, take it back to the store and get another one. You know, you could sort of order it off the shelf. You don't hardly even need a test drive if you're familiar with, uh, with the model, but service, you know, you have these things. It's not just a purchase, right? You have them for years. And even with an EV, yeah, you're going to, you're going to need work on it. And that seems to be a, a real challenge, uh, for the, the new players to grapple with, I guess when you look at it i mean is are dealers an advantage for the incumbent brands or is being nimble and dealer free an advantage for the startups
2: yeah so you know call me old-fashioned here but i believe that dealers play an integral role in the success of the automotive industry we have this conversation a lot with uh with our clients uh on the oem side who are looking at some of the um, direct sales models that are out there that are being explored by others They look at the cost that they pay in terms of the dealer network and and they have questions in terms of, are we getting the benefit that's worth the investment, that's worth the cost? And the reality is, bar none, every client that we've talked to, the the reality is they see the value that the dealers bring. They see the importance of that local market activation and driving that engagement, that enthusiasm, that excitement in, in the local markets. And they recognize that the dealers can do that in a way that they simply can't. And frankly, if you talk to all these OEMs, It's not so much that they want to move away from a dealer model. What they want to do is they want to take their underperforming dealers and get them up to the level of performance of their top 10 to top 20%. Like bar none, if you talk to any OEM, how do you think about your dealer network? Um, I think they would say, uh, you know, with near unanimity that the reality is the dealers play a critical role. Um, There is an opportunity to improve. So it's not about moving away from the dealer network. It's about how do we get all dealers... To perform at the level they're capable of that can deliver that customer experience that consumers are increasingly demanding.
0: We're about out of time, but I I have to follow up on that because there is the concern. I think that especially the younger generation doesn't want to go to a dealership, you know, or there are people who want to, maybe they want the support of the dealer network, but they want to be able to just You know, shop online, have the car delivered to their home. Uh, They want the the good parts of the Tesla experience, the Amazon experience, but also the security of the dealer. How's the How should automakers try to work through that? Well,
2: I think that's I think what you're describing is exactly what has to happen. Is the dealer model has to evolve. And so, when we talk about improving the level of performance of dealers and the role they play in the local market activation, the reality is that. As younger, younger consumers, has demographics evolve, there is a need for a different buying experience. And as we look at the dealers going forward, it's no longer going to just be a brick and mortar alone experience. It really is about how do you manage the online to offline experience. And we already know today that pretty much all consumers, the internet plays an important role in terms of the purchase decision and doing the research. We see a number of folks who want to actually make a purchase online, but there's a role for the dealer to play in terms of fulfillment. There's a dealer a role for the dealer to play in terms of ongoing service and support. There's a role for the dealer to play in terms of cultivating that relationship. And so the role of the dealer will certainly evolve. It is evolving, uh, but it's still going to be an important role nonetheless going forward.
0: Brian Colley leads the Global Automotive and Mobility Practice for Boston Consulting Group. Thanks so
2: much for joining me today. Uh, thank you, Jamie. For, it's always great to catch up.
1: That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News Coordinating Producer Jake Near and Alicia Anderson. Today's episode included reporting from our own Michael Martinez and C.J. Moore, as well as Greg Lason at our sibling publication, Automotive News Canada. You can get the latest news on labor negotiations, used vehicle prices, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow
0: for a conversation with industry advisor Tilo Kozlowski, who predicts that one in 10 legacy automakers will be redefined or defunct because they failed to embrace the digital transformation. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review and subscribe so you never miss an episode.